Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. So this week, we are, we are of course, back in Romans. And uh, as, as you'll know, over the last few times that I've been speaking, I've been, we, we, we've not together, as those who are preaching, been going through Romans chronologically. But, but I did, actually, because I just couldn't cope. So, <laughs> um, so th- this week is called, is called Radical relationship and in the past we've we've been we've had a few radical titles and one of the things you need to know is that very soon I'm going to run out of R's and the whole series is over. So <laughs> but we started talking about God's radical righteousness. We then spoke about radical release, freedom from the past. We then spoke about radical redirection, what it means to not just leave our past but head in a completely new direction. And then today we are this is what we're describing as the fourth week of the trilogy. That's a <laughs> That's a joke for mathematicians um, that we're calling radical relationship. And it's just important to know, because the way Paul writes his letter, he, he's certainly got a theme going. He certainly is, it's, a building, it's a building text. In fact, as Paul writes, you'll notice a lot of the time he says, uh, oh, and therefore, and so now, and well then. And it's all ways of moving on the text from one little thing he's been saying then to the, to the next. So I've told you this, so now, well then, and so it goes on. So let's, let's, give, you, let's give you the headlines of what we've looked at in Romans uh, 5, 6 and 7. Here we go. First headline, man counted as righteous because of faith. Man born in Adam is now in Christ, and do you remember when we were talking about what that means? We're saying that man is born with, with, with a sinful nature, but when we're saved, our sinful nature is left behind. We're completely in Christ. There's no overlap. We're either one or the other. We're either in Adam, in the way we were born, in our sinful nature, or in Christ. There's no, there's no in between. Man found dead to sin. <laughs> You see, all the people listening on podcast will have no idea that what we're looking at here. Not, neither will they know I've come dressed as Trevor McDonald this morning. But, um, you know, it's their loss. Let's have the next one. A new master. Dead man says he is more alive than ever. <laughs> Woman previously married to Mr. Law found dead. Now, that's only really a good headline if you were there that week and we spoke about <laughs> Mr. Law, but, uh, but I couldn't resist the headline. <laughs> Freedom, no longer a slave to the law. And we finished last time with no condemnation. No condemnation at all for those who belong to Jesus. Isn't that good news? And, and, when, we, and when we finished speaking last time about... Romans chapter 7, of course we had to jump into the first couple of verses of chapter 8 because it's a logical conclusion to everything that's gone before. When I um, knew that I was going to look at Romans chapter 8 today, I started to do a little bit of research. Of course I've read the word, but I will also take various books off my shelves which I think are going to be helpful to me. Um, I will go and read you know, various people whose, um, who, whose opinion I value. I'll look at various things online, and I, I found a little teaching series. Someone had spoken 
on Romans chapter 8. And I thought, oh, this might be worth a listen to because um, it's just interesting to see what other people say. And I, and I clicked on it. And Romans chapter 8 took 30 weeks. <laughs> 30 weeks. So I thought, I'm not even going to look any further, all right? Because I thought, if I'm trying to condense into 30 minutes what some guy's done in 30 hours then uh, I'm just going to fall short. So all we can possibly do this morning is have a bit of a surface skim, a bit of an overview of what's in Romans 8. But I think what I've got on my heart this morning is going to be really helpful for us in this room. I believe it's going to be life-bringing for us in this room. I believe it's going to be life-changing for us in this room if we receive what I believe God has to say to us this morning. So why don't we open our Bibles at Romans chapter 8. We're going to read the first 17 verses. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 1. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him... The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. By giving, us, by, sorry, by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead... He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to confirm that we are God's children. 
And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. We want to thank you that as we've read it, we've just noticed in ourselves things in your word which have spoken to us. And Holy Spirit, I want to ask now, as that continues to apply to us, that you will come and be the revealer of truth as we look carefully at what your word says to us. Amen. Amen. So right at the start of Romans chapter 8, Paul himself is giving his own short recap of what he said previously. So he says, verse 3, God sent his son who was to be a sacrifice for the sin of mankind. He says that the law was unable to save. Verse 4, the sacrifice of Jesus who never sinned was the only way of satisfying the demands of the law. And that Jesus did this for us in order that we are no longer slaves to our sinful nature, but rather follow the Holy Spirit. And if we allow ourselves to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, we will think and do things that please the Spirit. And remember, when we talk about the Spirit, we're talking about God, aren't we? We know that God is, is, is one God in three persons. So when we are pleasing the Spirit, we, we, we are pleasing God. And doing this leads to life and peace, verse 6. Life and peace. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Who's up for a bit of life and peace? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm up for life and peace. I fancy that. And then Paul says in verse 8 that those who... Um, are still under the control of their sinful nature, will never please God. But it moves on quickly and says, but you're not like that. Because you believe the message of Christ, you're not like that. It's not that you're not like that on your good days, but you're like it on your bad days. No, it's back to this argument. We're no longer in Adam, in our sinful nature. We're in Christ. It's, it's, It's one or the other. So if we're in Christ, you're not like that. You're not following your sinful nature. That's the truth, you know, that we need to confess over ourselves, to say it over ourselves. We've said this quite regularly when we are teaching on a Sunday morning. It is important to confess the word of God over our lives. You know how it is sometimes when you are perhaps doing some work at home and you want to remember something and you will say it out loud, won't you? Yeah, or you're trying to find an address. They live at number 309, 309. 309, 309, it means when you drive there an hour later, it helps you to remember, doesn't it? So it is with the word of God. Saying and speaking God's truth over our lives will help us to remember what it is he said to us and help us to walk and live in the good of what he says. You know, when we are, when we're thinking about bringing God's word to the church on a Sunday morning, what we want to do as shepherds in the church is lead people to good pasture. Yeah, here's some good feeding. That's some good feeding. Speak and confess the goodness and the truth of God's word over ourselves. Yeah? We may say to ourselves, well, that sounds great in theory. I'm not sure I know that in practice. But Paul has some news for us when we think that. He says in verse 11, you have no obligation. You have no obligation to follow your sinful 
old man um, desires and urges in our lives, we're under no obligation to do that because we're no longer in that sinful nature. In fact, Jesus has given us a gift to help us do something about it. It's not just that we have no obligation and Jesus says, well, you don't have to do that. What he says is, no, you don't have to do that and here's what I'm giving you to help you to live life in a different way completely. And you've probably heard me use this illustration before about when we are being given a gift. And when we are, when we are saved, Jesus gives us the free gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to use this as my illustration, but it just seemed too good to not drink at the same time. <laughs> so if I've got a gift here, just imagine this is a really fancy, smart-looking parcel. And I'm going to give it to Maria and say, Maria, here's a gift. And Maria says, thank you. And then we put it there. I have definitely given her a gift. What Maria has not done yet is she's not received the gift. She's been given something, but she's not received it in all its fullness. She's, it's, it's a bottle of water in this case. It's sitting on a music stand. It's not until Maria receives the gift and actually does something with it that she's actually really received the gift at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a difference between giving a gift and receiving a gift. And I believe that's an important word for us today when it comes to how we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself has given to every believer. It's a wonderful gift to receive. Romans 8, it tells us that receiving this gift helps us identify as being sons, as being children of God our Father. It is a witness to ourselves. The Holy Spirit in our lives will cause our inner man, our inner self, to cry out, Father. The Holy Spirit is a witness. It helps us see who we are, who we really are in, uh, in, in God and, and in Jesus. It becomes a radical relationship. They're, they're, the, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a witness to the joining there is between me as an ordinary guy and my heavenly father. He comes and says, here, God is your father. And not just that, he says, you are his son. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just mind-blowing? You know, we who are fathers in this room, just think about how much we love our children. Just think about how we would just love to see them grow up to be spiritually secure, to be content in their life, you know, to prosper in the things that they do. How when we see them doing things which are, we know are not going to be helpful, you know, our, our hearts are saddened, aren't they? And we just want to, oh, come on, this is the path. I want to show you the way back. You know, God, God is a father expressing love in a far greater way than even we can to our own sons and daughters. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. The Spirit says to us that God is our Father, but it also says to us that, that, that we are his son. We are his daughters. It talks about God adopting us into his family. And you know, that we, we, we know people, don't we? People among us who have adopted children and when we adopt children, it is not on a sale or return basis, is it? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to adopt a child and we're going to see how it goes. And if they don't sleep in that first week, I might just take them back. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it works at all. When we're adopted into the family, hey, you're part of the family now. 
This is it. This is what we're working with. Adopted into God's family. And it's because of our relationship with God that we choose to please him. We choose to please him because we love him. It's a radical relationship. We don't please God out of a slavish sense of duty. You know, I'm going to give God what he wants, but frankly, I'd rather be anywhere else. You know? There, there is a religious behavior which exhibits that entirely. You might have noticed, you know, pe- people who will claim to be religious people following whatever God they choose, actually, and will, will do their time going to certain places or saying certain things at certain times of the year. And the rest of the time, it's a free-for-all. And um, people are there out of a sense of duty, a sense of obligation, that the, the doing the stuff will kind of make their God happy. That's religious behaviour. We're not religious people. We're people in a relationship. It's a relationship that stirs a desire to live as the spirit dictates. And why shouldn't it? Life and peace. Life and peace. Let me try and illustrate this, about this business of not being a slave to the law anymore, but living in the freedom that Christ brings. But let me just illustrate how this relationship works. Can you imagine that Sharon goes to town one Saturday afternoon because I'm going to take her out for dinner that evening? And um, she goes and finds herself a new top to wear. And it's lovely. And uh, as she's getting ready, I think, hey, I'm going to be really helpful. I'm going to go and iron her top for her. That'll be a really useful thing for me to do. And, and as I'm doing it, the phone rings. I get a bit distracted. I'm doing whatever. And I've burned a hole all the way through this shirt. And when she sees it, she's devastated because she just bought that and it was special. It would be no good me at that point saying, hey, well, look, no law has been broken. Yeah, no one's been murdered. <laughs> yet, yet, yes. No, 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 one, no one's been murdered. No one's stolen anything. You know, I've kept all the law. No, no, I'm sad. And she's sad because something has come between in our, in our relationship. Okay, now, I really hope she'd forgive me in those circumstances. I'm sure she would. But, but, can, but can you see, it, it's completely immaterial as to whether a law has been broken. The, the, thing, the thing that's broken down is, is the relationship. Yeah? And that's how we should live pleasing God. So in this first half of Romans 8, Paul is making a point of saying that when we're saved, we don't simply get our sins forgiven. No, no, no. It's much more than that. When we're saved, when we accept Jesus as Saviour, we know that Christ has crushed all condemnation in our lives through his cross. Not just that, that he's freely given us life-giving power by his Holy Spirit. Power in our lives to conf- that will fulfil what the old law just could not possibly fulfil. And therefore we're declared totally righteous. We are totally released. We are totally redirected. And this is now indeed a radical relationship that we're in. Do we see And the Holy Spirit is given to us in order that we may live a life that pleases God, not a life that is just going to help us to to batter down the darkness. No, no, that's already happened. 
a life which is going to help us to implement the victory that Jesus has already run, already won on the cross. That happened years ago. But through his Holy Spirit now, we're implementers of the victory that Jesus has won for us. You know, of all the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, it's this one, it's the book of Romans, in which most of all he lays out his doctrine, the things he believes concerning salvation and living a life that pleases God. If we want to think of a way which we can understand to describe the book of Romans, it's almost like a a user manual. It's it's the guide. And um, that could be a really helpful way of, of, of reading this book. But it's no good just having theory. It's no good just having a user manual. I'm sure you've all been to Ikea and bought a something, whatever it is, chest of drawers, and you've got a user manual, and, uh, and you get it out and you start to scratch your head a little bit. It was MFI I never got on with well, actually. <laughs> their, their user manuals were nothing to do with the piece of furniture you just bought. <laughs> and you'd, you'd get all the way to the end and then realise that the first piece that you'd put on, you'd put on backwards or upside down. Uh, absolutely, and you'd take it all to bits again and, and start again. But you know, a user manual is, is not supposed to be some, some theory that actually is impossible to put into practice. Yeah. It's supposed to be some theory that's good for us to put into practice. Yeah. And so what's quite interesting then is to look how Paul puts into practice the things he writes about in the book of Romans. So if you turn to Acts chapter 19... This is an eyewitness account. The book of Acts was not written by Paul. It was written by people who were with Paul and saw what Paul was doing. But this is an account of uh, what happened to Paul. It says, um, chapter 19, first seven verses. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul travelled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked, and they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus As soon as they heard this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. In that little account, can we see Paul's heart? Can we see what he's doing, putting his theory into practice? He's not asking those people he met. He doesn't say, are you Christians then? He didn't say, are you saved? He doesn't say, have you let Jesus into your heart? He asks what he considers to be a much more important question. Paul knows that that believers will stand no chance of outworking a life that pleases God, no chance of outworking a life which is really dead to sin and alive to Christ without the empowering and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. This is Paul putting his theory into practice. Again, we see the theory found in Romans put into practice in the book of Galatians. Uh, Turn to chapter 3. The book of Galatians, it's a pastoral letter. Uh, Galatians is written by Paul to a church that he established, but um, he writes to them sometime later. And Paul, in this letter, he kind of pulls no punches. He says it it how it is in terms of the things that he has seen and heard in them 
that they just need to bring back in line with his original teaching. One of the things that have happened to the churches in Glacia was that Paul's message of salvation through Jesus, through faith alone, had been diluted, it had been watered down. Because there was teaching creeping back in again about, ah, yes, but you've got to do that, but you've also got to adhere to the old Jewish customs, the old Jewish traditions. And there was a watering down of salvation. It was, it was not salvation by faith. It was salvation by faith and, and some works as well. And you remember what we were saying right at the start? You're either in one place or the other. It isn't a salvation by faith, but also help yourself along the way. And, and Paul wanted to bring some correction into that. There's no halfway house there. So Galatians chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 2, Paul says, Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Holy Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your, by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. And again, Paul is not asking the question, did God forgive your sins? Did Jesus come into your heart? But Paul is bringing correction to those believers who had been given the Holy Spirit, but whose identity now and worth was still tangled up in law-keeping. And Paul is, is, is asking the question, does God give you the Holy Spirit? As almost being one and the same thing is, are you following Jesus? You see what I mean? Because he knows you stand no chance of following Jesus unless you are living a Holy Spirit-empowered life. And you may be, and I may be this morning, think, thinking, well, we've heard this message before. We know that we should receive the Holy Spirit. Why don't we, why don't we just move on and talk about something else? But um, I don't think we should do that this morning. As people who follow Jesus, we're not called to be people who have great theory and no practical outworking. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You may have seen this quote before. It says this, don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you do, and I will tell you what you believe. That is quite a challenging quote, isn't it? it is. Yeah, I find that very challenging, yeah. and, uh, and I'm sure we do as well. If someone's going to look at my life, yeah, just follow me around, around for a week. Watch what I do, and then sit down at the end of the week and tell me what they think I believe. Yeah, how would we stack up? But we can see that Paul is describing knowing the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God at work in the life of the believer as being the absolutely essential element required for a life in step with God's will and purpose. The absolutely essential element. Many times in Paul's letters, he exhorts his readers, encourages his readers to pursue this relationship with the Holy Spirit. He'll say things like, walk by the Spirit then, or fan into flame, or um, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And following Jesus and being filled with the Spirit are one and the same thing to Paul. You can't do the former without the latter. The theologian Gordon Fee describes this as being the ultimate imperative for every believer. What he's trying to say is there's nothing more important in your life as a Christian 
than to be filled and continue to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it's no good for us to, to be here this morning and for me to be thinking, well, you know, someone prayed that for me once a few years ago. Yeah, yeah and well, it was different for a day or two. <laughs> That's no good. That's not the exhortation in the scripture. It's to be filled and to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 says this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a regular exhortation of Paul's, but it's an exhortation for for us individually. But did you see, it's also an exhortation for the corporate. It's something that we do together. Sing among ourselves make music to the Lord in our hearts, but it's, it's for all of us. It's to benefit all of us. But it's not just to benefit all of us in the body of Christ, or those who are believers. It's to benefit all of those around us as well. Do we know this? There's something very attractive about men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we know some of the characteristics of Holy Spirit followers of Jesus. They're described as being love and joy and peace, and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things which are going to earmark men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's good, isn't it, when we're around people who exhibit those characteristics, don't you think? And that's what the scripture says is good for us too, because it's good for the people around us. That's going to be important if we're going to be effective witnesses to what Jesus has done. A witness is someone who has seen something and can report what they've seen. If we're going to be people who have seen something in Jesus and can report to other people what we've seen, we need to be people who are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We want others to want the same thing, don't we? We're called to be distinctive. We're called to be not following the crowd, not what the Bible calls conforming to the world, you know, fitting in just for the sake of it, doing what everybody else does, but exhibiting the power of God in our lives, making visible the fruit of being led by the Holy Spirit, being truly alive. As you know, I hope, I've been stirred recently about the need to pursue those round about us individually, but also collectively who don't yet know Jesus. You know, particularly in this town, you know, we we are not to be a church which is confined to a primary school hall once a week on a Sunday morning. We're to be a church which is in our community, witnessing to what Jesus has done, in our families, in our workplaces, Wherever we find ourselves in our day-to-day, we are to be witnesses to what Jesus has done to us. Distinctive, different. Knowing the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit is essential for this task. When Jesus commissioned his disciples, he gave them authority to be his witnesses. But he said, first, I want you to wait. I want you to wait until I send the Holy Spirit. 
Sending and receiving the Holy Spirit for ourselves is something which is fundamentally important to being effective witnesses. We can't do it in our own strength. What about our immediate families? Especially if we're parents of small children. They are witnessing everything that we do and say and learning from it. You know? What about our work colleagues? What if we are people in the workplace, in our home, who have actually away from a Sunday morning quite a quick temper? Uh, away from a Sunday morning, we know that the language we use isn't always good and careful. Away from a Sunday morning, know that we are finding ourselves slipping into patterns of behaviour which we know don't please God. Away from a Sunday morning, we are in relationships which we know are unhealthy for us. We need to have the constant filling and refilling of the Holy Spirit. What if we're here today and don't actually count ourselves as followers of Jesus? What if we've never actually said, I, I confess that Jesus is king and whatever it takes, I'm going to follow him? What if we've not done that? Same promise. Same promise. It is repent of your sin, believe, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. There's not a probationary period. God doesn't say, we'll give it six months, see how they do on their own. <laughs> that would be completely unfair, wouldn't it? Completely unfair when there's such a wonderful gift to help us and to aid us. He offers power to change us. He offers power to heal us. He offers power to bring restoration to our situations and to our relationships for each of us for all time. Isn't that great? I'd like us to respond to the word this morning. I really believe that God wants to show us this morning how our Holy Spirit-filled life is vital not just for us, but for those round about us. It's no good for us to talk about turning up the dial on reaching those who are not saved without first accepting we need to know the power and input of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, one of the things that I learned just came to me in a different way a few months ago, that we'll often close a meeting by praying that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God will be with us forevermore and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, whatever that is. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what fellowship is? It's, it's walking in step with somebody. Yeah. It, 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 is, it is really knowing what it is to have a constant companion that we're walking in step with day after day. So yes, um, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that was Paul's desire for the people he wrote his letter to at the time. Would you know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the nearness of the Holy Spirit, uh, day after day, week after week? It is vital. It's so important for you. So we're going to get to our feet in a second. We're going to worship. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing songs that will be helpful for us to respond to the word with We'd also like to pray for people this morning. 
if this morning you need to know a refilling of the Holy Spirit in your life, then we'd love to pray for you. We're not going to call people to the front and do anything that embarrasses anybody at all. But um, Stephen and uh, Chris and Ellie, uh, Benj, myself, will be sort of off, off the side somewhere. If as we, as we sing together, you are saying in your heart, I need to know, I need to know the filling and the refilling of the Holy Spirit in order for me to live a life that is worthy of, the, of all that I've been given, yeah. adopted yeah. into the family of God. We'd love to lay hands on you, to pray for you. This is something that we can continually pray for ourselves. But this morning, I believe there's an impartation for us. Something for us which is going to be strong and powerful and life-giving in the days ahead. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.